It's Thursday, September the 30th, and this is your morning briefing from The Economist, sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, Americans shutdown averted for now, and Trump blamed for Taliban walkover. First, the world in brief. Chuck Schumer, the Democrats' leader in America's Senate, said he struck a deal with Republicans to pass a stopgap measure to avert a government shutdown through December. But that is only the first play in a layered game of brinkmanship. The quote, debt ceiling remains unmoved. And Democrats themselves are ever more divided over Joe Biden's multi-trillion dollar spending package. Kenneth Frank McKenzie, one of America's top generals, said that the Taliban's speedy victory in Afghanistan could be traced to an agreement they signed with the Trump administration in February 2020. General McKenzie told a House committee that the deal, which fixed the deadline for the Americans' complete withdrawal, had a, quote, pernicious effect on the Afghan government, strengthening the insurgents' position. Kim Jong-un offered to restore a hotline with South Korea, a possible sign of reapproachment, after a week in which his North Korean regime test-fired more missiles into the sea near its neighbours. The communications channel was severed in August, following joint South Korean-American military drills. Speaking before his rubber-stamp parliament, Mr Kim also berated America, which he said wanted talks without toning down its hostility. The International Olympic Committee announced that only spectators from mainland China will be allowed to buy tickets to the Winter Olympics in Beijing. China has been largely closed to foreign tourists throughout much of the pandemic. Unvaccinated athletes will have to quarantine for 21 days before the Games, which start in February. Ecuador's president said that at least 116 inmates were massacred at a prison near Guayaquil this week. Officials blamed fighting between rival criminal gangs and reported that most of the deaths had been inflicted by firearms and grenades. At least five victims were beheaded. The government declared a 60-day state of emergency, authorising military forces to secure order. Warby Parker, a purveyor of trendy eyeglasses, made its debut on the New York Stock Exchange. Its shares started trading at $54.05, valuing the firm at over $6 billion. Revenue rose 6% to nearly $394 million last year, though the company is unprofitable. The startup is a poster child for direct-to-consumer retailing, but now makes two-fifths of its revenue from physical stores. President Kais Saeed appointed Tunisia's first female prime minister. Najla Boudan Ramdani, a political novice, will take office at a time of crisis. Mr Saeed stands accused of making an authoritarian power grab and public finances are close to breaking point. He asked Ms Ramdani to propose a cabinet almost immediately, quote, because we have lost a lot of time. And fact of the day. $150 million. The reported net worth of Bishop David Oyedipo, head of the Winner's Chapel, 
a Pentecostal empire that preaches prosperity in Nigeria. He dismissed the figure as a, quote, insult and, quote, too small. And now, here's today's agenda. Explosive Potential The IPO Boom Another week, another series of blockbuster flotations on American stock markets. This year's IPO boom, during which tech firms alone raised roughly $60 billion, continues unabated, despite volatile markets. The bankers who prepared the flotation of Amplitude a data analytics company, gave it a guide price of $5 billion. Instead, trading opened on Tuesday at 43% higher than that. Warby Parker, a maker of spectacles popular among hipsters, ended its first day of trading on Wednesday with a valuation over $6 billion. And on Thursday, Olaplex, a hair care products firm, will seek a valuation of $12 billion. Investment banks often underprice IPOs so that their clients benefit from the quote pop as share prices rise on a company's first trading day. But investors love debutants for other reasons too. Newly listed firms have outperformed the stock market as a whole since the start of 2020. Even so, worries abound that some are overvalued. Both Amplitude and Warby Parker, for instance, have reported losses recently. Biz Marks German Businesses Preferred Coalition For German business people, the coalition talks that follow Sunday's election cannot end quickly enough. Most were disappointed that the Christian Democratic Union and its sister party, the Christian Social Union, did so poorly. But that was tempered by relief that the hard-left Die Linke floundered. Business Leaders Preferred Combo is a, quote, Jamaica coalition of the CDU-CSU, the Greens and the Liberal Party, according to a poll by the DMB, an association of mid-sized German companies. Of those surveyed, 38% favour a Jamaica coalition, whereas 34% prefer a government of CDU-CSU, Liberals and Social Democrats. Only 11% favour the coalition that is most likely to emerge from the talks, a traffic light union of Social Democrats, Greens and Liberals. Most of all, business leaders would like to avoid months of uncertainty. The prospect of a successor to the incumbent Chancellor, Angela Merkel, not being found before the year is out makes them very nervous. Bitter Votes Ethiopia's Election Not for the first time, Ethiopians will vote in a predetermined election. Though elections were held in June, Thursdays takes place in seats where war, ethnic unrest, legal disputes or logistical mishaps disrupted the democratic process. More than 90% of those contested last time went to the party of Abiy Ahmed, the Prime Minister. That was mildly less preposterous than the 100% secured in 2015. But it made a mockery of Abiy's promise to deliver the country's first free and fair poll. 
More than 7 million Ethiopians are eligible to vote, but enthusiasm will be limited. The main opposition parties in the eastern Somali region are boycotting the poll. The civil war in the Tigray is expanding and an insurgency in Aromia, Abiy's own region, is gathering strength. Altogether, at least 26 constituencies will not hold votes on Thursday. With tens of thousands of homeless and many Tigrayans experiencing famine, Abiy's coronation will be far from most Ethiopians' minds. The Amazing Narendra Dabolka's Alleged Killers on Trial While on a morning stroll in 2013, Narendra Dabolka was shot dead in Pune, a city in the western Indian state of Maharashtra. A physician by training, his commitment to the Hippocratic Oath drove him to debunk black magic, fight superstitions and challenge the crazed claims of India's self-styled godmen. He often came under fire from the right-wing politicians who seek to woo the mass followings of spiritual leaders. A bit of a showman himself, he once offered $28,200 to any guru who could survive one minute ablaze. On Thursday, eight years after his assassination, his alleged killers will stand trial. They have pled not guilty. Dabolka's sceptical spirit has survived him but so have the fanatics who flock to holy men. Their faith remains intact, even when the gurus they worship are convicted of crimes such as rape and murder. That is an illness Dabolka was unable to cure. Reflections of a Global Citizen Isamu Noguchi Isamu Noguchi grew up torn between two cultures. Born in 1904 to an editor from New York and a Japanese poet, he turned to art to unite the conflicting parts of himself and the world around him. His work is often abstract. Glowing orbs radiate calming light and gentle curves soothe the eye. Art has to have some kind of humanly touching and memorable quality, he once said. Quote, it has to recall something that moves a person. On Thursday, more than 150 of his works will go on display at the Barbican Centre in London. As visitors take in his sculptures, lighting, furniture, playground models and theatre sets, they will learn how Noguchi's art expressed his yearning to draw the disparate elements of his life together. Noguchi, who once described art as, quote, something which teaches human beings how to become more human, would approve of that lesson. Finally, here's the quote of the day from Truman Capote, who was born on this day in 1924. Failure is the condiment that gives success its flavour. That's it from the Economist Morning Briefing, available every weekday and on Saturdays. You can hear interviews and analysis from our journalists, including our current affairs podcast, The Intelligence, by searching for The Economist on your podcast app or asking your smart speaker to play the latest Economist radio podcast. And as a subscriber, you have access to each week's full edition in audio. Just download The Economist app on your mobile device to start listening. Thank you.